Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jim. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. I know it has been a while. It was been a hectic summer, just lots of, of business things and confusion going on. Faith Tested by Fire. <laughs> and uh, I, I know a lot of you... Um, can relate to what it's like just to have a lot of things on the to-do list. And one of the things that I I promised myself when I sat down to do this uh, podcast is the motivation that I do it in. In other words, when there's something on my heart that I really want to share with you, that's the best time for me to sit down and, and talk to you about these different things from the Bible and the tests of life and faith and believing and all of those things. And I think about what it would be like if I did this for a quote-unquote living right now. What I mean by that is uh, when you pastor a church or maybe you have a uh, daily radio show or something like that, uh, you have to produce the content. You have to do the recording whether you feel like it or not. Uh, you have to find something to talk about, whether it's really on your heart or not. And I wonder um, if that doesn't somehow on occasion um, skew the material that you're hearing. In other words, if you have to get up and speak once a week into a, a microphone, you've got to do it whether something's on your heart to say or not. Because if it's that's what you do for a living, so to speak then your income depends on you continuing to create the material. And as a uh, believer and as a podcaster, I thought that it was great that I didn't have that pressure on me. In other words, I don't uh, sell anything on this podcast. I have some Christian books that are on Amazon that you can buy, but um, it's not something that I push or I advertise. As a matter of fact, I've priced them at 99 cents so that they are within anybody's price range. And I'm not knocking those who charge $9.99 or $12 for a Kindle book or anything like that. I understand that's a choice they made that's between them and God. Um, and, and I don't say that in a negative light either. I'm just saying that that's literally between them and God. I mean, the Bible does say that the ox that treads the grain shouldn't be muzzled. Um, he, the ox eats as he goes. And so, but with this particular podcast and this topic... Um, the, the time that I spend or the materials to do this show or to be on the platform uh, that's funded by my own business. And I enjoy it that way. I enjoy it that way because I don't have the pressure on me. I don't have advertisers or anything like that that um, I'd ever be tempted to hold back because I don't have to worry about offending anybody or people walking away. I can just put it out there as is as it's on my heart. And so what I wanted to talk about today was just the how prayer, faith, and the test and trials of life all kind of mix in together to create a very unique experience. Uh, but yet there's common things that we can look at as we go from one person to another in one situation because we're, we're alike. We're all kind of alike, even though we have different gifts and talents and experiences. Uh, we're, we're kind of wired the same, different strengths and weaknesses, of course, but we all know what it's like to struggle. 
And we all serve the same uh, God if we believe in God the Father, Jesus the Holy Spirit. So we all have that in common. And there were a few things that I've personally uh, struggled with over the years, uh, and that is when you pray for other people. When you pray for other people, sometimes you can see results, and sometimes you don't see results. And it feels like the faith or the level of believing is just as high sometimes with when you don't see result as when you did, and that can lead to some confusion. And, you know, sometimes you can take something that the Bible says and you can stretch it out and kind of come to different conclusions um, based on that one scripture. And sometimes those conclusions aren't really accurate or correct. And it's only after a period of time and experience that you look back at that and you have to adjust what you thought. Let me just give you just a simple example. Imagine you're on a trip and you forgot to take the directions with you and and maybe the app in your phone isn't working or something like that. Think about the old days when you would write down directions and you'd take them with you and it would just say, you know, turn left on this street or look for this landmark, right? Have you ever had directions given to you where somebody tells you to look for a landmark? So you're driving along, you're looking for the landmark, but you don't actually have the specific directions that you wrote down when the person was talking to you. So you're kind of going by memory. And you see something that resembles a landmark, and you say, oh, wow, there's that landmark. Um, The turn is, the next turn that I have to make on this trip is within the next quarter mile on the right-hand side. And so you make the next right that comes up. And it seems like, wow, that's kind of, came up kind of fast. But that was basically the, that was the, the road uh, marker that I was looking for, that was the, the big tree that I had written down to look for as a landmark. That was, that was it. That was, wasn't it? And you make the turn, you're wondering if you made the right turn. Have you ever done that before? Where you're going from memory, and then it turns out if you drive a while, you realize, you know what? I must have made a wrong turn. This doesn't look right. Things just don't look right. And so you go back and you get back on the main road again before you made that wrong turn. And then you eventually find the right one. It's okay. Now we're now we're going in the right direction. But if you if you have driven for a while, I'm sure you've had that happen more than once. But in life, there's things like that. It's sometimes you think that, well, this is a sign from God. Obviously, this is this is how God uh, communicates. But you're not really a hundred percent sure. But you want to believe it. You want to believe it because not be- the the alternative is not believing it. And not having an answer, not having a solution, and still having a bunch of question marks. So sometimes what we do is we fill in those question marks with the things that make the most sense at the time. But see, there's truth and there's not truth. There really isn't any gray area when it comes to uh, the truth. We can't see it. The Bible says we see through the glass darkly. So we don't see things as black and white. God sees things as black and white. And that's one of the reasons why among many other reasons, why Jesus had to grow, go to the cross and pay for our sins because there are things that we do that we don't even, in our own conscience, realize that we're going down the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, having the wrong motives. Um, it's very easy to convince yourself that uh, to justify your actions. And so Jesus died to wipe all of that away and to bring us to a place where we have peace with God. So from this place, 
from this place of, of right standing with God, we move forward and we face tests and trials in life. Sometimes things make sense. Sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes the attack seems so intense that we find ourselves wondering, why is this happening? And if we look at ourselves, we'll find a reason why, even if that's not the reason. Let me explain what I mean by that. As long as you're in this body, you're going to do stupid things, say stupid things, and come to um, bad conclusions. But as long as we have God with us, the truth is always within our reach. So no matter how many wrong turns you make, you can still get back on the right road. And so one of the things that I concentrated on earlier on in, in my experience as a, as a believer was this topic of prayer and faith. Because when I went back and really looked at the Bible, one of the first revelations I had is that everything that happens in this world isn't a result of um, God's perfect will. And the scripture that spells it out the best is in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, um, that God's will would be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. So that shows you that we have to pray that God's will would be done because it's not automatically done. If it was, Jesus wouldn't have told us we, to pray this way. So the Bible says that uh, many, God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to the knowledge, the, the saving knowledge. But we know that that doesn't happen. We know that uh, broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction and many go down that path. But narrow is the way, is the path to life, and few there be that find it. So when you take those things into consideration with the will of God, then and we should pray that God's will be done, then it goes to show you that many things, most things that happen in this world are not the will of God. Right. So when you see the disasters and the suffering and all of that, that wasn't God's will. Now, just saying that brings up a lot of debate and a lot of questions. Well, isn't God almighty and can't he step in and doesn't he step in from time to time without even people asking? And I would say yes. Right? We, from, from our natural human standpoint, we see that yes, God does step in even before people ask him to. Right? But the rule is, in other words, 99 out of 100 times, you have not because you ask not. Like the Bible says, gives you a reason to ask. Now, we can come to a lot of conclusions why that's written that way. The easiest one to digest is God gave Adam free will. He gave this world to him. Basically, he said, you run it. And then when Adam bowed his knee to a fallen spirit and sin entered into the world and into the human race, then we have a competitor on the scene, a little a fallen god, so to speak, a little g. And he is the author of sin, death, and destruction. And he took, according to the Bible, a third of the stars of heaven. Stars are symbolic of angels or messengers. And uh, there's also de demonic spirits. Um, the Bible doesn't go into them in great detail where they came from. Other older books do in the Bible, like the book of Enoch. Book of Enoch talks about giants walking the earth. 
This is the pre-flood time. And once those giants died, they were hybrid creatures, part angel, part man. Um, and evil spirits came forth out of their bodies. And they were basically frozen here <clears throat> on the earth, trapped here. Not citizens of above and not um, men of the earth, but a combination having no um, home, so to speak. Half of one place and half of the other. And so they were trapped here, according to the Book of Enoch. So it's not important exactly the origin of these things. The important thing is for us today is we're here. And the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the um, uh, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So whether they are a combination of fallen angels and demonic spirits, or one or the other, um, that's what we wrestle against. But Jesus actually defeated them at the cross and made us citizens of his kingdom. The Bible says that we're seated with Christ today in heavenly places. That's our who we are in Christ. If I'm going too fast, I apologize. I'm just trying to put all of this out there. Maybe there's certain things that I say that you wish that, oh, I wish you would um, go into that in a little more detail. You can always listen to this podcast again and take notes, write these things down, and search for them online. Um there's plenty of information out there on all of these little subtopics. But as it relates to us today, uh, we're here in life, and we have very real challenges. And sometimes they're just little challenges, lots of little challenges that when you combine them all together, make life maybe not as enjoyable as it would be if those challenges weren't there. And so the one thing that we have is prayer and faith that connects us with God, our Father, our Father, our Heavenly Father. Prayer and faith that connects us with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. In other words, all three, just like Jesus said that, if any man love me, he will keep my words. And if he keeps my words, then my Father and I will come and make our home with him. So his promises, if you keep his word, if you keep the truth, if you keep believing, then and you keep praying because that's what Jesus said man always to pray and not to faint and give up i've said that scripture i don't know how many times and how many podcast episodes but there's a reason for it why would he tell you not to give up unless he knew beforehand that there would be plenty of reasons not to give up it's kind of like saying okay when you get to this road just keep on going <laughs> just keep on going and then eventually you'll come to your destination that you know what you're saying in 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 so many words is i'm i can't even tell you how long that road is going to be but i just want to encourage you if you keep on it you'll get to your destination well J jesus is basically saying that when he says <clears throat> that men should always pray and not and not to faint lose heart and give up a few weeks ago, I was online and, and there was a great debate back in the Christian world back in the 1980s. There was a preacher back in the 50s who was very popular. Um, I'm sorry, in the 40s. I think he passed away in the late 40s. 
And there was a kind of like a uh, resurgence of his name and his materials. And he never actually wrote books, or and he was never recorded at, uh, preaching. Um, so, you know, his, his ministry was back in the 30s and 40s. But his name was Smith Wigglesworth, and this man had so many miracles uh, occur in his ministry. And he was known at the time as the um, Apostle of Faith. So over the years, um, people, when he was preaching, had recorded his, when I mean recorded, I mean with pen and paper, you know, how they used to, stenographers do it in, in the courts. Well, they did that with his sermons, and then they turned those into books. And one of the things that he said that was very controversial was that um, if you ask for something seven times, you've asked six times in unbelief. In other words, according to Mark eleven twenty four, you should ask for what you want one time, and then after that, relative to you praying about it, you should be giving thanks for it, because Jesus said, uh, what things soever you desire when you pray. So if when you pray is Monday, then this is what you do on Monday. When you pray, believe you receive it, and you will have it. So if it's Monday, and Monday is the day you prayed, and you believe you receive it, then on Tuesday, if you pray again relative to that situation, you should be praying in thanksgiving because God heard you on Monday. It says in the um, in First John, if um, this is the confidence, it says that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have the petitions desired of him. So when you put those things together what, what, which, with the information that I gave you when I started this podcast, why doesn't God automatically do something if he's almighty and can you know, intervene? It seems like God doesn't move unless we ask. It seems like God's will is not done unless somebody prays for it to be done. So this brings in the concept of free will. You know, if God knew Adam was going to fall, why did he create him? Because God wanted to create a being that had free will. And ultimately, somewhere in the story, that person with free will would make the wrong choice. Obviously, Lucifer had free will or else he couldn't have made the decision to rebel against God. Right? So he says he was made perfect in all his ways until iniqu iniquity was found in him. God made him perfect in all of his ways until one day iniquity was found. So that ability to choose, think about it. If you were God and you created beings of free will and they were all perfect, one day, somewhere along the line, somebody would have to make the wrong choice or else free will is just an illusion. Right? But the interesting thing is, I believe, and this is just my personal opinion, doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible. It's just a conclusion that I've come to from the scriptures that I've read. But I believe that the fact of what would happen choosing against God is solidified for all eternity. So in other words, when we're on the other side, right, in the other in the heavenly world, when we're where we go to be with God forever, when we leave this earth, right, I believe that we'll still have free will. But it would be inconceivable to choose against God. Because we already saw what happens. In other words, we know God is love and all of these things have been created for us. He created all things for us to enjoy. 
right? and and everything in a perfect world everybody works together everybody loves one another it's just one big family it's a paradise right that's probably why jesus used that word when he said to the thief on the cross when he said lord remember me when you come in your kingdom he said today you'll be with me in paradise Right, so it would be paradise. All of nature working together. Nobody eats one another. <laughs> right? That would be paradise. Right? That would be heaven. That's why we call it heaven. It's the word that we have in our vocabulary that enables us to identify with a perfect place. But getting back to this uh, thing again with Smith Wigglesworth, he made the comment about you got to ask one time. That's it. God hears you. If you ask according to his will, he hears you. It's not a matter of crying or begging. The crying or begging is just an emotional response to how we feel about ourselves and the situation at the time. Think about that. When, when something critical happens, right? you play with an emotion, you, you pray with a different type of emotion than you do than, let's say, you're just thanking God for the meal on the table. Right? You, can't work, you could work it up, but it would just be that. It would be an act. It wouldn't be the real thing. You would, it's just a natural response in your heart. You know, and there's times that you just cry out to God with complete sincerity. And that's awesome when that happens. But this person um, was commenting online. I was doing this search and happened to come across this and remember this old story about Smith Wigglesworth and have 30-something years as a believer, as a someone who pursues faith, and the topic and praying for the last 30 years, I've had a lot of incredible things happen. Actually, it's 32 years, come to think of it. I became a believing believer in 1986. Summer, July, 1986. So we just passed July of 2018. That's 32 years. Anyway, so I've looked into this, gave this, 30-something years of thought, debate, talking about it. <laughs> so um, the, the person made this statement. It's something I really didn't think about in all that time. They said, I've discovered that if you ask God for something more than once, each subsequent time you ask, a little more doubt enters into your heart and into that equation. Think about that. Now, this is somebody making a comment, an observance of their own prayer life. They discovered that every time they asked God another time, and they, they were basically applying this to everybody. They weren't just saying that it was for themselves. They were saying that this is, this is true with everybody. So I gave that some thought, and I gave it some thought as it relates to the topic of praying for other people family, friends, things you see happening around you, maybe things um, that are happening in the country or things. But let's take it down to a smaller um, place. Let's take it down to people you know, friends or relatives. I started thinking about this, about uh, asking once for somebody else. And I, I shared this question with a few pastors back in the 80s. And uh, the answers they gave me, they didn't actually give me scriptures, but the one scripture they did give was that, whereas when Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, 
Everyone that asks receives, everyone that seeks finds, and him to him that knocks the door shall be open. And the words there, the tenses in the original language in which uh, that was written in the Greek implies ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. And so basically what they said is when they prayed uh, for other people, they kept asking for them. And they even basically came to the point where they said they kept asking for themselves. Well, when I look at how Jesus prayed, and you can say, well, yeah, that was Jesus, but he's the model, in my opinion, <laughs> that we should go by, not, um, you know, a preacher or somebody else that comes up with a teaching. Even though the teaching may sound good, I know that a lot of times people lean to certain types of personalities, teachers, preachers, to get insights into things that aren't really expounded on to their satisfaction in the scriptures that we already have. And I understand when that's done, but there has to come a time where you put your faith in the Holy Spirit as your teacher above another person. Because if you lean too much on any one personality, as good as that person is, then you're running the risk of being taught of them and not of God. Right? Because not everything that comes out of our mouth is spirit-inspired, and I don't care who the person is. And so, a matter of fact, the Bible even encourages you have no, man that, no need that any man teach you, but that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. That's what Paul told Timothy. So, let me actually get that scripture. Let me read that to you, verbatim. <clears throat> okay, this is the American King James Bible. It says, but the anointing which you have received of him stays in you. Just a little side note here. You know, uh, I know some churches teach that the anointing comes and goes. Um, according to this, it stays in you. So what is what is that anointing? You know, back in the Old Testament, uh, priests were anointed by God. They received the Spirit, so they could uh, be in a particular office, function in an office as priest or king. And now the Bible says that we are priests and kings in Christ. So, um, and, and again, I'm just rattling these scriptures off, most of them off the top of my head. You can actually write my or type my quote in and you'll get the actual scripture. Um, I was going to write all these down, but that would take too much time jumping to each one, right? I mean, the scripture is a scripture whether you quote the number or not. It's still the truth. So First uh, John, again, 2.27 says, But the anointing which you have received of him stays in you and, and, Right now, the anointing is another word for the Holy Spirit in the Bible. The anointing which you have received of him stays in you, and you have, you need not that any man teach you. Need is the key word there. Right, so the Bible puts teachers in the church for a reason, right? It's a, it's a ministry, but you need not, in other words, you don't, have to rely on. Why? Because it says here, 
the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. So what you have in you, right, that anointing is going to teach you and it's, and it's not a lie. It's not a lie. So let's read that all together. But the anointing which you have received of him stays in you and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is the truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. So the anointing moves you closer to Jesus. It moves you to a closer reliance on him. It makes you look at him, not a man, to teach and guide you. Do you understand? So, yeah, Jesus uses men. But you don't have to take one of those men that he's used in the past and say, well, this is where I have to go to learn about this topic. Or this is who I have to listen to now. Right? All of these things are there to help you. All of these things. God just doesn't use men. He'll use all kinds of things. You can be sitting down watching a TV show and the anointing on the inside, the Holy Spirit, will quicken something to you that's in that show, will make it come alive to you and use it as an object lesson. You can have object lessons during conversations with other people teaching you at, through that conversation or through an experience. Okay, so you have that on, on the inside of you. Now, I want you to just put that to the side, but not too far to the side. And I want you to, again, consider that question. How many times should we pray for somebody? Right? Now, you, maybe you can make an argument that, yes, you should pray for somebody yourself once. You should ask once, and after that, thank God for it. But I want you to consider these scriptures. I'm running a little bit low on time, so I might go a little bit fast through this, but I want you to really think carefully about this. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2 says, Continue steadfast in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Right? So think about that ask once principle. Now here it says continue steadfast in prayer and be watchful in it. So there's there's certain things there that um, seem to contradict in some ways or confuse this topic of, well, aren't we supposed to walk by faith and not by sight? Why does it say be watchful in prayer if we're not supposed to be moved or influenced by the things that we see? Well, see, I look at it this way. There are facts. Those are the things that we see with our eyes, and they're real. But there's truth, and the truth is higher than facts. Jesus said, I am the truth. For example, let me just give you a quick example. The Bible says we are the righteousness of God. Right, But that's the truth. But in our experience, maybe we don't act righteous all the time. We say things. But yet in the day of the judgment, right, it's going to be in the book, that our sins are washed away, that we are righteous, that we are clean. Right? So we have the facts, which, which is our daily experience, and we have the truth, which is a book that we can't yet see. So which one do we put our faith in? Well, if you want to change your life, you have to put your faith in the book. Right? We acknowledge the fact, but we focus on the truth. The Bible says that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. We have the facts that state otherwise, but we focus on the truth. When we focus on the truth, the facts change to mirror the truth. Let me say that again in case you missed it. Okay, so the Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says as he is, so are we in this world. 
that is truth. Facts are um, you're seated at 122 Main Street. You've got zero authority in this world. And um, so nobody's going to listen to you. And um, <laughs> I mean, do I have to go that much more into detail about the facts? But we have the truth. Right? The facts are himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and by his stripes we were healed. Isaiah 53, 3, 2, or 1 Peter 2.24. Right, so, so the facts are real and the facts will hurt you if you allow the facts to remain. The truth will overcome the facts. The truth will, make, will change the facts. Whatever we focus on, that's what will ultimately become our reality. So that's why I believe it says continue steadfast in prayer and be watchful. In other words, don't just pretend the facts aren't there. Be, but it says be watchful with thanksgiving. Not be watchful with anything else. Be watchful with thanksgiving. So if I'm going to go to prayer for somebody that is struggling, a friend, a member of my family, this is the thing that personally has tripped me up quite a bit in the past because if I prayed for them and nothing happened, then I began to wonder what was blocking it. Why wasn't it happening? Why was it taking so long? Right? So from the time I said amen and saw the next, I would go through these thoughts if it didn't happen. Instead of continuing steadfast in prayer with thanksgiving. Right? And, and so what, what does that mean? What are you actually saying in prayer? Well, most of your prayer is thanksgiving. Right? God doesn't have to be reminded, but we do. We forget the truth. We become overwhelmed with the facts and we forget the truth. So if you're praying for Aunt Susie or, or you're praying for your, your friend Mary or Bob and they're going through a rough patch, sometimes when you pray you'll see results and sometimes you won't. Instead of getting frustrated, instead of getting discouraged, instead of wanting to give up, you do what it says here in Colossians. You continue in prayer. You continue holding that person up before God with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you've heard my prayer for them. I thank you that your will is, and there's plenty of scriptures that reveal the will of God. Remember, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So it's not a matter of getting him to hear you. It's a matter of continuing in prayer with thanksgiving until there's no reason to continue praying for that person because the thing comes to pass. When I mean not continue praying for them, I mean relative to that problem or that challenge or that situation. Right Now, the, the opposite of this would just to be keep asking. Just keep asking. And it wasn't until last week that I, when I read that article where that woman said, a woman who was writing the article said, I find that every time that I ask, each subsequent ask has a little more doubt in it. Why? Because, you know, religion has taught us that it, it's not just that you ask, but um, they, they just put all these rules. I mean, religion adds all of these rules and all these things, all these hoops you got to jump through and, and all these obstacles you have to. It makes prayer like solving a Rubik's Cube. 
And, and that's not what Jesus taught. He made it very simple. All of his prayers were short. Right? Because his focus wasn't on his praying. His focus was on the Father. The words came from the heart. All right. I'm running a little bit out of time, but let me, let me see where we are with the time. Hold on a second here. Um, okay. Let me read a few more scriptures to you before I have to go. Okay, uh, Philippians 4, 6 goes right along with this. Do not be anxious about every anything. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So if you're making a request for a friend or a relative, don't be anxious about their situation. Make your request with what? With thanksgiving. And then we can jump right back to that scripture we read. Continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Every time you're thanking, you're reaffirming the truth. Every time you're thanking, you're reaffirming that God loves that person even more than you do. It's not a matter of you getting him to remember something he forgot. Right? It's, it's a matter of keeping your heart in belief instead of sliding into discouragement. It's a matter of keeping your heart into faith, in faith, instead of letting it slip into fear, instead of letting it slip into doubt. You continue steadfast, watching with thanksgiving. In other words, the praying is much as much for yourself as it is for God. It's for both of you and that other person. All right, let me screw, um All right. Colossians chapter 2, verse 27 says, To be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me read that one more time. Colossians 2, 7. It says, rooted and built up in him, established. Do you know what established means? That means it has a firm foundation. That means a, a little bit of a wind isn't going to knock it over. Established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This thanksgiving principle is through the entire Bible. Right, so there's a time to ask, and that's right in the beginning. But then we exchange the petition for thanksgiving. Why? Because it's an act of faith. It is an act of faith to thank God for something that you can't see and to continue steadfast in it is truly a sacrifice of praise. It's truly a sacrifice of faith. But because the outward circumstances are showing the exact opposite of what you're thanking for. And you get attacked in your mind. It's just, that's just the way it is. The carnal mind is not God's friend, the Bible says. <laughs> it's that enmity, actually, with God. All right. Let's just scroll. I'm just scrolling through here quickly. I'm just going to put the bookmarker in it there. I think I've put a lot of information out there. Um, I think I'm going to continue with this thought the next time, I promise, Lord willing. I'm going to do my best to get back here as quickly as I can within the next few weeks. Maybe continue with this thought or, or continue with some thoughts that, that support it. So this is Jim. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. God bless you, and I will talk to you soon.